Welcome to Justifying the Effort, everybody. It is another week down, and we are in the absolute throes of the holiday season, which is uh, delightful, magical, and I dare say uh, nostalgic. So you, our great listening audience, have the joy of hearing just from me today. So Megan is out in New York City with our daughter, Sienna. Um, As obviously as the kids have gotten a little bit older, we've really tried to focus more on experiences and a little less on stuff and also experiences at the right time of their life and opportunities for them to go and do and see things that uh, they'll always remember. I, for example, can remember uh, my parents took me to Boston when I was 14 and I had the chance to, uh, I'm a big history nut, always have been, and the chance to be able to go walk around and check all that out was amazing. So they have been going from museum to museum and from play to play and little cafes to little cafes. So uh, I get reports, I get pictures, and it has been downright magical. So I have been holding down the home front, which has been a ton of fun, and I will get into that in a second. But first off, uh, speaking of holiday cheer, I, uh, man, for my money, it does not get any better than when Andy Williams sings, it's the happiest time of the year. And I will say his, uh, his version of sleigh ride bumps pretty hard as well too. So the, the moon river crooner, uh, gets it done. And I, I know I've mentioned that before, but for me, it's one of those things that I wait and I wait and I wait. And, uh, we start getting snow where we live sometimes at the end of October. And when you get a blanket of fresh snow, the uh, desire to hit up some Andy Williams comes on incredibly strong. And Megan is not a big fan of me turning any Christmas music on before the said I guess I can do it right when we get into the Thanksgiving season. But I will also say... uh I will find myself once I'm in, I'm in. So I, I, uh, I almost, I almost set a personal rule that I will only listen to Christmas music once I, once I take that plunge. So it is, it's commitment. It, it really is. So I, I, I do my best to, uh, to stave it off as long as possible, but I digress. So anyway, getting in through Thanksgiving and being able to hit that up has been amazing and it's been rolling nonstop. Now I am not a fan of any of the modern Christmas music for the most part. There, there is some good stuff and, uh, maybe I'll dive into that in our next episode, but I will say, uh, there's there's a couple that are just miserable. First off, uh, Paul McCartney simply simply having a wonderful Christmas time. That's like that's such a money grab. That's like they came in and said, "Hey, Paul, why don't you write the worst Christmas song of all time?" And he he accomplished that, and it is horrible. So <laughs> that one is probably my number two worst Christmas song. And I would say my worst is uh, there'll be no snow in Africa this Christmas. So. Unless we're having, uh, unless, unless tectonic plates are moving and moving Africa into the Northern hemisphere, or you're at the top of Kilimanjaro, I don't think snow is a regular thing on the African continent. So by one sitting there singing a song about how there will be no snow in Africa, 
this Christmas, really, uh, that'd be like saying, hey, there'll be no uh, ocean in the state of Utah this year. Yeah, because we don't live on the coast, right? So it's just the paradox of it all that uh, <laughs> that drives me absolutely nuts. So anyway, there you go. There's my there's my rant on Christmas. So we had an absolutely fantastic Thanksgiving. We had uh, my in-laws were in town as well as my brother-in-law and his family. And we had a ton of fun. I brined my turkey. I love to cook. So I busted out some pies. I brined a turkey for 24 hours and then I smoked it for seven hours and it turned out absolutely delicious. So my kids, so I've always been a huge proponent of Black Friday. I like going out. I'm a, I'm a big, uh, big fan of a deal. And this year, I just, uh, I don't know. There's just nothing I was like chomping at the bit on. So to the point, I got up Thanksgiving morning, and one of my greatest joys in life is getting the uh, Thanksgiving newspaper and during the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade, busting that thing out and seeing the ads and seeing what's going on. So I went to four different places. The first one I went to, they had papers, but they were tiny and there were no ad. There was like four ads in it. And I was like, well, where is this? And they said, yeah, they're not doing that anymore. So then I went to like three other places. They said, yeah, we're not doing the paper anymore. So if I'm wrong on this, please correct me. Let me know. But I, uh, I found nothing. And I went to four different places and it, the digital thing like called me old school. I guess I am in my F word years, but I did not find any satisfaction in that. So the kids wanted to go out because they're like, oh, we heard there's deals. We heard there's good stuff going on. So we we hit a few places. I needed to get some new ski boots for one of my daughters and uh, my, ne- my uh, brother-in-law needed to get a setup for my niece because she moved out here to go to school. So we were doing that. And then uh, my my oldest wanted to go to some record shops. So we Googled some record shops and we ended up, there was this one that was like a uh, record slash skate shop that we wanted to go check out. And uh, literally we walked in and it was absolutely Satan's workshop. It was, there was like screamo going on. I was like, like just, eye melting music. And, uh, yeah, it was fantastic. So we went through there and that was pure, pure holiday cheer being in Satan's workshop. And it was a, uh, it's a good cultural experience. So that was, that was a, a joy. So after having everybody out the door and gone, I, Knew there was snow coming, so little buddies and I got all the lights up and got everything winterized, and I'm so happy we did because it hit hard on last Sunday night. We got a ton of snow, and it is beautiful and everything, but I'm just absolutely glad that I got it done. So as I mentioned, Megan's been gone this week, so it's just been uh, the kiddos and I, and Saturday, I got up and wanted to have a bit of a magical day with the kids. I had a busy day, too, so... We got up, I I got up early, went to the gym and I realized we had a neighborhood breakfast that I totally forgot about. So I told the kids, I'm like, Hey, go over to the middle school. I'll meet you there. We'll have breakfast and then we'll take off and go skiing. So I went skiing with the kids and not a lot has opened up. I mean, the resorts are open, but as far as coverage goes, it's, it's pretty weak. There's a lot of rocks up there still, but we made some turns, had some fun. It was a super good time with them, but I have to tell you, uh, 
I, I felt a little sore by the end of it, but I had no idea what was coming. So last night I had a gig playing with my band. We got hired to do a private party at a country club and we played from nine to midnight. And so I was on my feet, kind of moving around, having fun. It was an excellent crowd. Everybody was way into it. And we, it was just super, super fun. But I got up this morning and I could barely walk. I, I stepped down out of bed and I was like, what the hell just happened to me? And I could barely close my hands because my hands were so sore and swollen from playing. And I'm like, I am getting incredibly way too old. And that, my friends, is a scary deal. So that leads me into today's episode. So thank you all for uh, putting up with the uh, review of the week. So speaking of living your best life, and we talk about this all the time. So if you're tuning in for the first time, justifying the F word is all about a quest to live your best life within your 40s and 50s, F word standing for your 40s and 50s. And as we've talked about Megan and I in other episodes, this really came about, uh, the whole idea of this came about right when I was turning 40, purely out of necessity for survival. It was one of those moments where, and I know I've rehashed this, where I was putting my contacts in just going, what, what am I doing? Like I'm, I'm bored. Like I, that whole midlife crisis thing, uh, started to set in and really started to rattle me. And because I felt like, well, you know, this happens to everybody else, not me. So with that being said, and, and having, having kind of spread the good word on this for the last year and talking to so many people about it, everybody, it seems, has had a very similar experience. So I know we've all gone through this, and we've talked a lot about uh, different ways to avoid this, different ways to live your best life, but I just wanted to talk about a few steps and this really came about from some sales training that I put together for my guys. So every year at the beginning of the year, I, I'll put together about a full hour long PowerPoint slide deck and we'll go through and we'll do some training and it's, and it's really on what to focus on for the year on how to become, how to become better. And my gut feeling or how I, kind of perceive things as far as the midlife crisis, a lot of it comes out of, you know, there's a lot of factors, right? So I'm not, I'm not saying this is the only one, but it really comes out of stagnation, meaning that life becomes so stagnant that you get to a point that it's, you're just bored because everything is stagnant. So these steps that I want to talk about are really ways to help avoid getting stagnant in your life. So the first thing that I want to talk about is um is a running analogy and everybody man woman child some point in their life learned how to walk barring any physical issues and then once they learn how to walk every kid learns how to run and this one's a little near and dear to our heart cuz our middle daughter Olivia she learn how to walk at eight months and she was tiny. And so it was like this little like cabbage patch doll that could run so incredibly fast. And she would like, if we were, I remember we were at the Ventura mall around Christmas to go see Santa when we lived out in California and she slid out of the bottom of the stroller and she was gone, like just dead sprint. Right. 
And to the point to where we had to, when we went into public places, we had a hiking backpack that we would put her in. Like if we went shopping or anything like that, because uh, if she hit the ground, she was running. So why do I say this? Is nobody sits down with a child and reviews with them the proper procedure to run. They figure it out, meaning they put foot in front of foot as fast as humanly possible. And they're like, hey, this this gives me some speed. Well, that that's great. And what happens is every child learns how they can run. But then as you get older, let's say you learned wrong. Let's say uh, you swing your arms across the front of your body instead of driving them forward. Let's say you're hunched over. You have your shoulders rolled forward. You're, you're no longer efficient. Or let's say you are clenching your jaw, which in turn is clenching your back muscles, which in turn is clenching your hamstrings. So there's so many different aspects to it. But the reason why I bring up the running analogy is I feel in life uh, there's so many things that we just figure out. Like we figure out how to do it. And, you know, part of it's survival, I suppose, but uh, we figure out how to do it. And that's that. And we figure out how to do it. And it could be 100% wrong and inefficient, but it gets us from point A to point B. And I can remember, uh, I used to run a lot uh, when I was in high school. And I can remember going to cross country camp and having coaches watch you and then coming and tweak your form and moving your shoulders back or taking one arm and pushing it forward and then nitpicking that over and over and over because what they were looking at was efficiency. Like, how how are you going about this? Like, are you doing it right? And the amazing thing was these little tweaks added, basically subtracted, I should say, I mean, you can tell how good I am at math. <laughs> That's why we pay a math tutor because Megan and I do not do not excel in said activity. Um, but what I was saying is, just by tweaking little things, you're shaving seconds off the clock, which then is optimizing performance. So I have been. Uh, we got challenged by our sales director to read a book called "Talent Is Overrated" by Jeff Colvin. And it's a really interesting concept because we look at the most peak performers, let's say a guy like Tiger Woods, he's referenced a ton in the book, or Mozart or whoever, and we look at these guys as it's all, it's divine spark, right? It's 100% God-given talent as opposed to what did they do to get there? And A great quote out of the book that I wrote down that I really liked is it says, the best performers set goals that are not about the outcome, but about the process of reaching the outcome. Deliberate practice requires that one identify certain sharply defined elements of performance that need to be improved and then intent and then work intently on them. So the line that came out of that that I found so profound was deliberate practice. So much like I talked about running and this this uh, this analogy to running, I'm just going to 
bring this back because I think I, I think I took off a little too quick out of the blocks here. But uh, the analogy of running is really our lives. And so what happens in our lives is we figure out what works. Like we figure out what works moderately for our happiness. We figure out what works moderately for our uh, fulfillment, right? And we we kind of go with that, but we don't really invest the time into really learning and mastering it. And so I love the idea of deliberate practice because, for example, you could go out and swing a golf club wrong and you could follow Malcolm Gladwell's 10,000 hour principle and swing that golf club wrong. And all you're going to do is get really good at swinging that that golf club wrong for 10,000 hours. You're going to master it. Where really the whole idea of it is to look at your life, right? And look at what you're doing and go, how can I course correct? How can I change that golf swing? How can I change the thing in my life that I'm not happy with? How can I adjust that to a way to where I will become more efficient at what I'm doing? So what happens is innately, and I'm guilty of this too. So there's, there's no, uh, uh, there's no point of me that's preaching about uh, how good I am at all of this. This is all stuff. And I, and I tell this to my sales guys too. When I give these trainings, I'm like, I hope you know, guys, that these trainings come out of the things that I look at that I feel like I need to be better at. And then I write a training based around that. And the reasoning why is, and the reason why we need to continue to be better is because what happens is we hit a level of proficiency and then we stop. So I can't remember the exact uh, the exact number of years in the book. So I'm going to just say ten years, or let's. I think I think they said between five and ten years. But one thing that uh, Mr. Colvin mentioned in this book is in people's professional career, their professional development at how good they are at their job peters out within the first five to 10 years of their career. They basically learn how to, for lack of a better term, swing that golf club to get through the game. And that's where they stop, but they continue to play the game, but they continue to do it in a way that stop that stunts their growth of, okay, I figured out that this will work. This will get me there. And this is how I can do it. And I see this all the time within sales teams. You can have two guys in the same area and you can have one guy who outsells by double or triple just because he's changed his game. Now, this goes also to our personal lives of, let's say it's a marriage, right? You or a relationship with a, with with somebody. You meet somebody, you kind of get there, you figure out what works, and then you stop. Um, your happiness, you get there, you get to a point, and then you kind of stop. And or let's just say your health, same deal. You're like, okay, I'm, 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 Maybe I'm not 100% happy with it, but I got to a point and then, I, and then I'm stopping. So really, when it comes to getting better and you know, in, increasing that running form, like I said, is you have to look at setting goals or changing habits. So uh, another great quote that I loved in this book is, if you set a goal of becoming an expert in your business, you would immediately start doing all kinds of things that you don't know now, 
right? Or that you're not doing now. So if you, and this is what I mean by deliberate practice. So if you decide that you're going to change and adjust and become better at something in your life, that isn't doing what you're doing now, right? That just can't work. You absolutely have to look at, okay, what is it that I am not doing now? And I think all of us in our F word years can look at us, look at ourselves introspectively and we can look at ourselves and say, okay, what is it that I know I should be doing to become better that I'm not? And I think that perfection is one of those things that is wildly overrated because it's impossible. And I I know I brought this up multiple times uh, before, but you look at like a guy like Tom Brady, who obviously he has sold his soul to the devil and he is going to hell because you can tell by his record right now. But you can look at that guy and he's thrown interceptions and he's lost games, but he's still the best that's ever played. You look at Jordan and Jordan missed uh, missed baskets, right? Wayne Gretzky, he was stopped by many a goalie. But the whole point about it is, or you look at Tony Hawk, Tony Hawk crashed a gazillion times before he got done what he, or stuck the trick that he was trying to, trying to do. The point is, is just going on and repeating what you know, doesn't get you any better. So for example, um, you know, being that I just played a guitar, I just played a gig last night and got the guitar out and was having a good time. Uh, if I want to get better at playing guitar, I've got to do something I've got to learn something that I don't know now. I need to learn new chords, new scales. I need to learn a song that's difficult. Or if I'm playing acoustic, I need to work on how I can finger pick better, alternative tunings, whatever. But it just gives me a chance to to grow. So the first step of changing your running form of is looking at it, or your running form of your life is looking at it saying, okay, what am I not doing now? So the next part that I wanted to kind of dive into this a little bit too on uh, on development and getting better at what you're already doing is there are moments, right? And when they come down, they suck. I mean, just absolutely are the worst things that could possibly happen. I think all of us have sat there and been like, been like, seriously, who throws a shoe, Mr. Bigglesworth? Like, I am so burned out of being shut down. Like, or how come in life everything seems to be falling apart over and over and over? And a great quote that I also took from uh, Mr. Colvin was, you learn 10 times more in a crisis than you do in normal times. So as cliche, cheesy, and um, I know that there's a lot of people while I'm saying this that probably want to just slap me through the microphone because they're like, or through your speakers. Cause you're like, Hey, crisis isn't cool, man. Like I don't, I don't, I'm not into this, but I will say like having gone through the recession, for example, and if you're in your F word years, uh, all of us, this touched us, uh, and all of some came out more scathed and some came out less scathed, but it hit everybody. And, the things I learned and how I had to grow and adapt and become better just both mentally as well, you know, with my family, with my spouse, with my career, with that level of stress, I I came out a a, a better man from it. Now, if somebody would have said, hey, are, are you learning? Is this great while it's going on? I would have said, hey, screw you, dude. Like... <laughs> 
I want this to be over. But the point is, is if, if you get into a crisis, it gives you that chance to look at what you're going through and saying, okay, what am I not doing now? Right? So obviously what worked in the past is no longer working. Or when you come into a situation that becomes difficult, you have the choice to either turtle that's a good hockey term. If somebody is about ready to kill you, you turtle, just go in your shell, cover your head. <laughs> and, uh, or you can, you can stand up, right? You can rip your face mask off and drop your gloves and say, okay, we're, we're going toe to toe on this. So if you are in a crisis right now, let's say it's a midlife crisis, ask yourself, what are you learning from this? So Crisis does an interesting thing for us as far as our development, too, is it forces us to change. So another great quote from this book is, you are forced to change, pivot, and not go about life the way you always have. So I think we have experiences in life that that totally rattle us, totally change our perspective, or let's just say it's a career change. Let's say it's a midlife crisis. Let's say it's a family change, a divorce, whatever. But when we're forced to change, we cannot go away about the things, or we can't go about things the way we've always done them. So in this change, in this growth, in this development, ask yourself, what do you really want? So there's a fantastic quote um, that I saw, and it, it applies to a lot of things, but uh, it was shame creates acting, inspiration creates change. So I'm going to say that again, just to reiterate the uh, point of it. So shame creates acting, inspiration creates change. So if you think about most of the things, any any major life changes that you've made, especially in your F-word years, it's because you've been essentially inspired to do it. Maybe, maybe uh, you finally, you've seen somebody do something amazing and you're like, hey, I want to get after that, like that person. Maybe you read something or maybe you've just decided to become better, but you've been inspired. Like there's been a, a, a spark of muse that's, that's hit you where you're like, I'm I'm ready to I'm ready to try something. I'm I'm ready to commit to this wholeheartedly. Versus shame, which shame, you know, let's take it from a workout standpoint or whatever. If you're looking at it in that degree, you're like, okay, I'm a little overweight. All right, I should probably get after this. I I look at myself in the mirror and I'm not happy. And that or, you know, everybody's telling me I need to do it. That's shame, right? And acting is never gonna be permanent. So you have to ask yourself, what is it that you want and why do you want it? So what you want, really, really deeply want, is fundamental because deliberate practice is a heavy investment. So if you are going to deliberately practice to get better at something, it can't be out of shame. It's got to be something that you really want. And if you don't know what that want is, right, spend the time to figure it out. Like, spend the time introspectively learning what is it that you're faulting in your life to uh, get that get your running form better? You know, what is it that you're fundamentally lacking? And then research it, look at it, figure out the way that you can find the inspiration. Because it's like I can I can shame my kids all day long to clean their room, and they'll do it for me because they're like I don't want to get in trouble. But it's it's fascinating when you see it click. Um, 
it was just like our oldest, for example, uh, we came downstairs the other day or, and she was cleaning the bathroom was like in the shower with a brush. And she's like, I just really want my bathroom to be clean. And I was like, good on you. Right. At that point she was inspired to do it. It wasn't that I was, we were cracking the whip on her, but she really wanted it to look a certain way. And so she got after it. So once you've figured out what you, what it is that you really, really want, follow your passion, study it. And as you pursue it, strive in addition to become more intensely human. Doing so will improve your material well-being. And as the economy evolves, it will bring you a richer and fuller life. So what will happen is your want in this situation becomes a passion. So you've been inspired, right? You've no longer, you're out of the shame cycle. You've been inspired. You've created a want. And that want, all of a sudden, that want becomes a passion. It becomes something that you want. And if you really think about the things that you love to do, maybe it's maybe it's a, a hobby, a sport, maybe it's reading, I don't know, whatever, uh, or being a better human being or being a better parent or better uh, spouse or what have you, is it becomes a passion. And if it becomes a passion, then you study it. You want to learn about it. It's like it's like for podcasting, for example. Megan and I got into this, and I'm on all these different podcast uh, groups on social media where I'm learning about it. I'm listening to podcasts. I'm reading about it, and I'm finding out more and more. It's because it's something that it's a passion. It's not like, oh, I, I have to do this. All right, so that was kind of a long introduction into the steps. So we talked about how... We're all basically figure out how to exist, right? How to perform in whatever market that we're in. We figure out how to get from point A to point B, and we used running as an analogy. Now I want to get into the steps. And the first steps is have a plan, okay? So I am wildly crazy about this in the working world. So my team knows that I am constantly harping on them when I do reviews, when I talk with them, I am constantly saying, what is your plan? Are you, do you have a daily plan? What's your yearly plan? What are you looking at? Where are your goals? What's your plan? And to the point where every morning when I wake up, I write out everything I need to do. I cross out what I get done, what I don't get done, get transfers over to the next page so I don't leave anything, nothing falls through the cracks, and we go from there. So I'm wildly uh, proficient at this in my in my professional career, which is funny because I'm I'm a dumpster fire on this in my in my personal life. So uh, in my in my personal life, and it was funny because when I was putting putting this together and uh, kind of rolling the sales presentation that I did into more of a podcast format and applying it more personally than the working world is I was like, dude, I have no plan whatsoever in my, in my personal life to the degree of, you know, it's one of those things like, you know, I, uh, I, 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 I set goals. Yeah, obviously. But for the most part, I, I don't, I don't have a plan and I'm not saying that everything has to be so rigid. And I, and I tell this to my sales guys too, when you, when you have your plan and you're going through it, it, that doesn't mean that that's like, you can't ver you can't, there's nothing that is going to happen during the day to throw you off. So for example, I can have a full list of things that I know I want to accomplish. I know my plan to get from point A to point B at the beginning of my day. 
and I might be able to tick three things off and then something blows up, but I still know what I need to get done and I still know where, what I want to accomplish. So, so, but like I said, uh, personally, I'm, I'm not very good at this and this is something that, uh, was a little introspective and I was like, well, you know what? Hey, uh, I, I'm no, I'm no, uh, I'm no stranger to, to uh, not being perfect. So uh, I'm going to get after this. So why have a plan? So I will tell you, uh, I, I grew up playing hockey my whole life. And just as part of the sport, you get in a few, a few tussles. And the first couple times you get into a fight on the ice and you can tell who's, who's done it before and who hasn't, or who knows what they're doing and who, who doesn't because, the first, when the first punch gets thrown, when the first guy pops the guy in the face or whatever, the immediate reaction, if the guy isn't uh, proficient at getting hit in the head, they'll start to swing wild. And it's, it's a reaction. Like, so you'll see people and it's almost like, uh, you know, just, it's just wild swinging as opposed to being surgical about it. And that's how I look at life without a plan. So for example, if you're looking at your life and you have no plan of getting from point A to point B as, and this could be anything from having a better marriage to wanting to spend more time with your kids or to become a better person. If you haven't put a plan in the place, what will happen is something in your life will be that big, bad defenseman in front of the net who proverbially punches you in the head. And the first thing you're going to do is swing wild. And what happens is when you swing wild, it derails you from what you had initially in your head is what you wanted to do. You had a great idea, right? A great intention, but that first punch threw that intention off. And life is full of, uh, of Ogie Oglethorpe's from Slapshot that are going to take you down or, or the Hanson brothers, if you're on the other team, which by the way, that's the greatest Paul Newman movie of all time. He drives a duster and wears a leather fur trench coat and is a player coach of a hockey team. So I, I absolutely love that movie, but anyway, Paul Newman's done a lot of great work, but that's the one he should have automatically gotten the uh, Academy award for without, without doubt. And sports comedy too. It's uh, it really is the pioneer. It was a trailblazer. But I, I digress. But the point is, as life, there's going to be a ton of things out there that are going to punch you square in the face. And if you do not have a plan, you cannot adjust. So if you if you do have a plan, what happens is that first punch gets thrown. You grab the dominant arm of the said defenseman that is wailing on you. You lift it up so that punch isn't going directly to your face, and then you counter punch, and you know where that punch is going to land. It's not it's not thrown wild, and that's it. So if you have a plan and you know what you want to do, you have to be able to have it in such a way that when those punches come, you know how to react. And what it does is it might say you might say, "Hey, I don't want to be squaring off toe to toe right now," but I know how to react to it and I know how to get back to the plan that I originally set out for myself. So, and I, this, gosh, you know, I, I, I honestly look for a better quote on this because it's so cliche and you hear it all the time. And it's almost like you almost expect to see it in cursive in somebody's kitchen or whatever, but it's, uh, it's failing. The plan is planning to fail. So, 
I think I think that was Benjamin Franklin. I could be wrong. I I dig old Benjamin. He he's a good dude. He did a lot of cool things. He tied a key to a kite and freedom and all sorts of stuff. But anyway, the guy had a plan, right? And the thing that I I like about this too is, and I when I was digging around looking for quotes on this, I, I saw somebody didn't added on to this. So, you know, they said failing to plan is planning to fail, but then after that, dot, 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 hope is not a plan. And I can think of things in my life, like going back to the recession where like financially it was a total mess and me not wanting to look at my bank account because it was more along the lines of, I just hope this will get better. That's no plan. And honestly, that ended up like it was it was way more detrimental than it was positive, like not knowing where you're going, not having a plan is was crazy. And so you think about life in anything you do, like if you get an Ikea dresser, imagine if it didn't come with the little uh, ambiguously non-language formatted instructions or imagine trying to set something up or imagine you get a frozen pizza and it doesn't tell you how long to cook it for, right? At this point, you're you're all hoping. And so it's so funny because in life, we look at so many things of saying, I need a plan for this. I, I need instructions. I, I need to know what to do in order to do this. But in our personal lives, we look at it so much more of, hey, I just hope this gets better, right? I, I hope that there is an external force that moves me. And that, granted, I'm not saying it doesn't happen because sometimes there's people that hit dumb luck and there is external forces. There are people that come into people's lives or financial windfalls or just certain things that happen that are, you know, uh, totally random and are total like windfall for people, but that's not the majority of people. And so you can't sit there and hope. And in fact, I can't even remember who told me this. And if you're listening, uh, let me know because I love this. Oh, no, no, no. It was uh, so Megan's old coworker would t- told us that her gram- her grandma was convinced that they were going to win the uh, Publishers Clearinghouse sweepstakes to the point that they kept a bottle of champagne by the door that they just knew Ed McMahon was going to ring their doorbell with a million dollar check, like without a doubt in their mind, like totally 100% believed it, like swore that they were going to win it. And uh, and they never won. Right. But that is hope that's sitting there hoping that that's going to happen. That's not the reality of life. And the reality of life is you have to make a hardcore plan and determine where you want to go. And you have to take control of your life. You just can't float. So step one was have a plan, right? And this applies to the business world. This applies to personally. I know my goal coming out of this uh, solo podcast is me creating my own plan, right? For my personal life and really looking introspectively, especially with the year end and uh, resolutions and such is I want to look at things and say, okay, where's my personal plan? Like what's, what's my personal plan? What is it that I, what's going to get me from point A to point B? So step number two is pace. So I, uh, I want to tell a story and I've, I've, I've hinted at this a few times. So Megan has, uh, beguiled me much like Eve in the garden with Adam to, uh, 
to run a few marathons. And I, I love to run, but I'm just not built like a marathoner. And, uh, when I was in high school, I was, I was a pretty decent, like 5k runner. I was a great 800 and 400 runner, but I never, uh, like longer distances. Like I said, I, my body, I am, I am part Scottish and part Hungarian and I am engineered to hoe potatoes. Like I am built to, uh, to, to do farm hard, hardcore farm labor as a peasant. And so Megan, once again, going back, this just gives you a little perspective on me. Megan uh, beguiled me to run these marathons. So the first one I did, I had trained moderately for, I'm not going to say I, I winged it cause I've done that too and gone in cold, but I trained moderately, meaning that I had done some runs, but my longest run was probably about 10 miles. And I was averaging probably like three to four on my training runs, which really wasn't going to get me where I needed to go. So the first one I did, the gun went off and we went going. And Megan's told the story about how she slapped my butt going out of the gate and knocked all my goos out of the back of my shorts. So I cursed her name for 26 miles, but I remember running and I passed this guy. He had to have been in his seventies and he was in a, I still remember he was wearing a pair of khaki shorts, like cotton khaki shorts and like a V-neck t-shirt and like a bucket hat. And I remember like sitting there going, way to go, man. Like, you know, just thinking in my head, like, you know what, this guy, he's, he's just out trying. Well, let's fast forward a little bit. I, I'm in Dante's seventh layer of hell at like mile 22. You know, I'm so chafed and so sore and just pissed, just hating life going, why this is the dumbest thing I've ever signed up for in my life? Why, why did I ever do this? And I see this like 70 year old dude in this bucket hat and his khaki shorts and this t-shirt just come trotting right past me. And so I was, so I I went from this patronizing feeling of like, Hey, way to go to, Oh my gosh, I'm, I'm, I'm in awe of what this guy has set out for his pace in his life, what, what he's been able to do. So then I'm running and I shouldn't say I'm running. This is like a, a shuffle. This is like probably I imagine, um, pure survival, right? I, I was on the, Death was in, intimate at this point. It was it was gonna it was gonna happen. Eminent, I should say. And uh, I, I knew I saw the tunnel of light and and all of that. And so anyway, I hear the sloshing behind me, like these water bottles, like. <laughs> and all of a sudden, this lady who had to have been eighty pounds overweight at least comes up shoulder to shoulder, and I'm like, and at that point, I was you know I was twenty five, twenty six. I was in decent shape. And I was like, Oh my gosh, I am not going to lose to this lady in this purple. She had a one piece. It was spectacular. She had a one piece purple spandex suit. And I was like, I, I will not lose to this lady. And I tried my darndest. I did everything I could to try and hang with this, uh, this purple spandex, uh, specter that was, that was driving the charge, but I could not hold her pace. So why I tell those stories is if you want to be the leader of your pack, meaning like if you're in the race and you want to be the old dude, or you want to be the lady in the one piece spandex out 
outfit with the two sloshing water bottles that still haunt my dreams to this day, you have to set your pace. And what I mean by this is those people, they trained, they diligently put in the work that I didn't do, and they got out there and they ran their race. So a great thing to think about, and this is this is one of the things that kind of came to mind that I wrote down when I was doing this, is if you are following someone else's plan, you're not setting your own pace. So if we if we apply this to our own happiness, we're individuals, right? We're we're our own people. And if we're not setting that for ourselves, if we're not dialing that in on what works for us, what our pace is for the race, then you're going to follow somebody else's. And so for example, uh that same marathon, I went out way too fast. I took off with the pack and I never set my pace. I never dialed it in right. And so I burned up a bunch of unnecessarily an unnecessary energy. And if you're looking at your own life, and if we're applying this to our F-word years and living your best life, the, like I mentioned, the steps to living your best life is if you're following someone else's pace, well, how are you living your best life? I mean, think about it. Like you're out there running somebody else's race. You're dialing in at somebody else's pace and it's not it may not be the direction or the speed you want to go and it may burn you out meaning you may not find happiness you may not find what you're looking for in that or you may be in the totally wrong race so ask yourself what is your pace are you in control or are you following the race are you following the pack right are you in control and this, like I said, the, the this whole idea of pace, when I was putting together my sales presentation, it goes hand in hand with planning. So if you have a plan and that's that's dialed in, well then you you know pretty well what your pace is. And I'm gonna say this again. Are you in control of yourself or are you following the race? Are you following the pack? And when you when you run a race, if for those of you that run a race, you know what I'm talking about. When you run a race, you go out there and everybody's running and you may you have no clue where you're going unless you're the leader. And I have never had that problem. So I'd like to say good middle of the pack guy. Like I said, I engineered the whole potatoes. So uh, going out, I rely on the people in front of me to know where I'm going. But if we're looking at our own personal happiness, and when I when I mentioned uh, shame creates acting, if you're just following the group, you're you're following the group 100% out of the desire not to feel shame, not to be like you're you're sitting there saying, "Hey, everybody else is doing this, so I should be doing this," and you're not inspired to do it. Now that lady in the purple spandex, that old dude in the bucket hat, they were inspired to do what they were doing. I was not inspired to be out there running. And that's why I don't do that anymore. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard of in my entire life. No offense if you guys are marathon runners. I, some people are just uh, built differently. So anyway, I looked at it and I have to ask myself, like, am I following or am I setting my own pace? And if you're looking at it in the work world, look at it as, you know, uh, if we're applying this to a business setting, are you the one who's out front or are you the one who's stepping in behind your competitor every single time? Like if you go into an office, has your competitor always, have they been in there before you? Have they pitched the new product before you have? Do 
are are you always hearing about somebody else because you're behind the eight ball on it, right? At that point, you know you're not on pace. And once again, personally, if you look at your own life and say, well, I'm just following, I'm not out front leading myself, then you're not setting your own pace. So, all right, step one, have a plan, right? Get that together. Step two, set your pace. Know what it is and lead your own pack. Lead what you need to do. So the last part I want to take and uh, to kind of get into this episode, or I should say to get this episode wrapped up, is uh, the last part's resistance. And we've done a whole podcast on resistance. Resistance is the secret sauce to success. It is, we went to the, so with Megan being gone, I took the kids to the store this afternoon. We're going to make pizzas tonight. And uh, we were getting the stuff and I was like, hey, let's get what you guys want. They're like, hey, can we get, can we each get a bottle of Martinelli's for ourselves? I'm like, sure, man, that sounds cool. Like, can we get ice cream? I'm like, yeah, let's, let's do it. Like, just kind of like, we normally don't do that kind of stuff, but kind of fun, you know, make it, uh, make it fun for them. And uh, anyway, I don't even know where I was going with that, but, uh, getting back into resistance, I don't, I'm sorry, guys. It's, uh, it's a lot talking, talking to yourself here, but, uh, talking about resistance is that is, Oh, the secret sauce. I remember what I was talking about my daughter wanted Chick-fil-A sauce because, uh, we were going to make some, uh, fries in the air fryer. If you don't have an air fryer, it's a game changer. And if it is, it's around Christmas. They're dirt cheap. Buy an air fryer. You'll thank me. It's the greatest thing that ever happened. So anyway, that's what I was thinking. Secret sauce, Chick-fil-A sauce. So anyway, I, uh, I, I pulled it all together. But if you think about resistance in your life, and we talked about this at the very beginning when we were talking about uh, the book, Talent is Overrated, the whole, the entire secret sauce to, grading, to creating t- talent is deliberate practice and deliberate practice, like we talked about before, too, is doing something that you don't you haven't done before or you're not currently doing now. And that equals resistance. So a great quote that a mantra, I should say, is comfort and growth cannot coexist. You can't have the same two in the same room. They're like uh bickering political parties at Thanksgiving. You know, you can't you can't have the the you can't have both of them. So you're either A, comfortable and stagnant, or B, you're facing some resistance in growing. So what I mean like resistance too, it may not be Navy SEAL training where you're laying in the water and it's the middle of the night and you're freezing to death. It could be just as simple as doing something you don't want to do, like taking one extra step. It could be you're at the gym, you do one extra thing that you didn't want to do that day. At work, it could be you know what? Like I, I'm going to make five phone calls to people I normally don't talk to and just try and, and, and add resistance. Or it could be with your kids of, I'm just so tired. I just want to chill. Or it could be with your spouse where you're like, all I want to do is watch TV and your spouse could say, Hey, I really need to talk to you. It's, it's just stepping outside of yourself and doing what you don't want to do when you don't want to do it. And the more resistance that you can add into your life, the quicker you're going to be reach fulfillment. So from an evolutionary standpoint, we as human beings were meant to have resistance. I talked about uh, a few weeks ago how I fixed my hot tub, the USS pleasure cooker. I could have paid to have somebody do it. Absolutely. But I did it and it took me all afternoon there was a lot of like trial and error and everything, but I got it done. And 
that might seem really trivial, but the level of satisfaction I got of the resistance was phenomenal. And I really feel like not having resistance in our lives can be a catalyst to obviously both physical and mental health. Like I should say a catalyst for negative effects on our physical and mental health. We need resistance. That's how we grow. And as human beings, that's how we're engineered. We are not engineered for lavish comfort. Although I, I enjoy a great, uh, I enjoy a great, all-inclusive resort in Cancun, Mexico as a way to escape resistance for a bit of time. But for the most part, we are designed to have it. So also look at resistance too. This is not a bad thing. Like, like we talked about at the beginning of this episode, you know, coming into crises, a crisis creates resistance. Don't always look at the things that are difficult as a bad thing thing. Look at them as, okay, what can I grow? How can I learn? How can I get better at this? Because it's just like lifting weights, right? The first time you do it, it's really hard. You're really sore. It sucks. It's terrible. But then it just becomes easier and easier. And you're able to add more and more and more because you've uh, you've tuned your body to resistance. Or the old guy who smoked me in the marathon, it's because he tuned himself to resistance. He got up and he ran and he put in the miles. And because he put in the miles, that long distance became incredibly easy for him and it took away the uh it took away the pain and i mean there was still discomfort but it took away the pain now consequently or conversely i did not have the resistance in my training that i needed and so i was stuck with pain hear that i was stuck 100% with pain so if you look at your life too and once again these are all steps that uh that you know I I kind of put together on on how to how to live your best life, right? And those steps, living your best life doesn't necessarily mean to avoid resistance, right? Like I said, that's why all inclusive resorts do so well. That's why Hawaii is so amazing and all these places, because it kind of kind of cuts that away to a degree, but we're not engineered to be there day in and day out. And if you want to live your best life, like I said, hope is not a methodology of living your best life. Hope is not a way, a mantra of how can I become better? Because hope is sitting there saying, I I just want something to happen to me, right? Not I'm doing something for me. So look at resistance. And, I, and from a work world, I, I look at my day. And if I haven't added any resistance in my day, if it's all been milk run, then I really try and focus to the point where in my daily plan, I usually write at the top of the page, uh, at the end of the day, what I did to build resistance into that, into my day. And there's fulfillment with that. If I did something hard, uh, if I did something I didn't want to do, there's fulfillment and I become better. And I look at that. And then also I try and, I try and do that with my with my personal life, whether it be, uh, be, uh, just my personal health. I'm always looking to become better. If I, if it's with my family, I'm always looking to become better. So don't, don't shy away from resistance. Look at resistance as a thing that is, is going to produce resistance really is, uh, it's a catalyst to, 
to overall happiness and success. I can't say that enough. Like it is, it's the, it's the, it's the divine spark there. That's, that's going to get you from point A to point B. There's, there's no, there's no shortcuts. And I, and I, as cliche as that sounds, that's just the way it is. You're going to have to grind. Like you're going to have to put in the time you're going to have to do it. So just in conclusion, guys, um, when you're thinking about yourself, like I said, everybody's born, they can run. Doesn't mean they do it right. So look at your life, look at how you can change that and look at, if you want to live your best life, create a plan, implement that plan, live that plan, set your pace, get out front, lead, lead the pack of your own life, right? Don't, don't follow somebody else. And lastly, create resistance. Look for things that you can do to become better. So guys, this has been fun. It's been, uh, it's been unique talking to myself for an hour. So, uh, kind of a fun experiment here, but, uh, Megan will be on next week. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. And if you have a chance, please share our podcast with friends. That's how we get the good word and the good news out on the street. And if you have a chance, please review us. So everybody, I hope you all have a fantastic week. And if you're driving alone, listen to a little Andy Williams. It'll do good for you.